Last week we finished the series in the Sermon on the Mount, which I, I think went on for probably about 18 months. It felt like it was a long time that we were in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but to the, today we're, we're going to be starting a, 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 a short series on titled Fake News, but it's really the, about the lies that we believe and how the truth of, of God's Word and truth of who we are in Christ actually enables us to identify the lies that we can sometimes tell ourselves or are sometimes told. Um, I guess there are, there are a whole load of things that we, we could um, talk about under, under this kind of heading. Um, anybody feel brave enough to go, actually, yeah, there's the, uh, well, maybe it's the lie that you believed or maybe it's the lie that your brother has believed or your friend has believed or, you know, such and such. Uh, what are the things that you have in, in, the, in the past believed to be true about you or about a circumstance that once you came through it and you understood it for the reality, began to go, ah, oh, now I see. What are the lies that we can tell ourselves that, help, that give, give unnecessary power to some of those thoughts? You're a misfit. So that's, a deep, that's something that you've, yep, yeah, misfit, okay? I'm alone. Ah, I'm, I'm glad you said that this morning, Richard, because actually that's what I'm talking into this morning. So I'm, so I'm a misfit. I'm alone. God speaks to everybody but me. I'm a failure. <laughs> I'm never going to break free of this habit. Sorry? <laughs> what's that bingo yeah there are, there are lies that we believe about ourselves whether they're little whispers of our thoughts experiences of the past things that other people have said or, or just because of like the life circumstances that we find ourselves that we interpret who we are because of how life has turned out and so the li- lies are really powerful because sometimes there's, there's, a, there's an element to a twisted truth, isn't there? So something might not have gone particularly well in your life. And we, we may be, I'm sure you haven't, but I know that I've made some mistakes. And we've all made some mistakes in life. We've all made some decisions, some choices that we, if we were to look back on, we'd go, oh man, I wish I would do that. I would do that differently. Yes. Please, you can give me some feedback. Like, like just yes, okay. We we do something differently because we go. I recognise now that was a bad thing, but when or, or that was an unwise choice, and we we can then live with the consequence of those, and we become that. We we end up living out of that thing, whatever that thing might be. So whether it's um, I'm a, I'm alone. And we will talk about it into that this morning. So there might have been a period of time where you felt in isolation and you begin to live out of that isolation. You begin to live out of that sense of, I, there's no, nobody cares, I'm alone, I'm, in, I'm, I'm on this, this is just me. And it shapes the trajectory of, of how we think and how we behave and the, and, the, and the future decisions that we make. So lies are... Lies are really important, but we don't identify a lie by a lie. We identify by the truth. So in you know, counterfeit money, 
all right? If you were to be handed a, a, a counterfeit a 10 pound note, you don't compare it with another fake. The way that you identify a, a, an original, a true, genuine 10 pound note is by studying and determining this is true. This one, this is original. Therefore, everything else that doesn't match with that is fake. Even if it's the slightest, smallest detail, fake. Doesn't matter whether it's, it's a slight imperfection because a genuine article will be perfect. So we understand truth not by studying the lies that we tell ourselves. We understand what is true by studying the truth. By becoming to believe what God says about us and who we really are. Okay, so if you've ever felt alone, okay, any, now this, uh, being alone can be um, just a short period of time or prolonged period of time. There can be moments and significant circumstances that mean I just feel alone. Well, if that's ever been you, then you're in good company because apparently in, nine, uh, in 2022, 49.63% of adults, that's 25.99 million people in the UK, reported feeling lonely occasionally or sometimes or often or always. In fact, um, 6% of people said that they always felt lonely. Now, does that mean that they're never in company with people? Um, I, I don't know, because there may be some circumstances like that. But actually, the lo loneliness is not about being around people. It's a, I think it's about an internal reality, an internal quality that we think and perceive about who we are and our circumstances and situations. So I, I've narrowed it down to, I guess, the two types of loneliness what I'm trying to address this morning. Um, so the, two, the first thing is that, the, 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 that we don't have any friends and we don't, we don't, we're not known and we are, we're not known by anybody. We don't have that social connection, that interaction with people, that meaningful connection, a deep friendship that actually I think everyone longs for, but is really scary, isn't it? Like the deep meaningful connection with people is really scary because it opens us up to a place of vulnerability. What if they really knew what I was like? Or what if they really knew what I had done? <laughs> Not just what the perceived is. What if they knew? And so we, we, can, we can close ourselves off. Um, but there's this longing for connection and intimacy with people. Now, it might not even be that I've done something wrong or I think, what will they think? It's just maybe there's, a, there's just some fear that stops us entering into those kind of deep, meaningful friendships. And actually, I don't think friendship is something that's talked about enough in the church. We talk about fellowship, don't we? Let's have a time of fellowship. Let's make sure we have a cup of tea or coffee halfway through or after the service. Let's, let's, let's do fellowship. But... Koinonia, the, that, that fellowship in the scriptures, that Greek word means it's deep interconnected. It's not just sitting around having a chat after a service. It's a shared life. It's a shared sense of I know you, you know me, and we're in this together. Because the really powerful thing is when you share something with somebody you're holding on to and they go, oh, you too. It's It's powerful. And so friendship and fellowship is not just that surface level. It's, it's being able to let the stuff that doesn't matter go, but being able to tackle the stuff that does and still remain friends. It's being able to have the hard conversations, the difficult, awkward things that mean we can move through. And I think that's what people long for, but are often scared to embrace. 
So I want to tackle that. And then the second thing I want to tackle is the struggle, the secret struggle, the internal struggles that we have uh, as, as followers of Jesus. Because we, have, we get presented this way of, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. We sing the songs about God's holiness and his faithfulness, and I will do this. And then we walk out of here and we, live a diff- we sometimes live a different reality. Because the circumstances of life don't always match up with what we, we experience on a Sunday. Because the struggle within is often, not often, it's always strong. So it's the, it's the things that we think, perceive, wrestle with, that we know, that we know don't line up with God's word, but we're scared to share it and disarm its power because maybe of some of those things of, well, what would people really think? And so I want to address those uh, two things this morning um, as we look through um, 1 Kings chapter 19 and the life of Elijah. Um, I'm going to read from verse 10. Um, And I'll do that before I just give you a little bit of background. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain of the, in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind and tearing, um, was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was there in the earthquake, uh, uh, um, sorry, after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Powerful question. I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. Uh, When you arrive there, anoint Hazel, the king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, the son of Nimishai, uh, as king over Israel. And and Elisha, son of Shahaphat. Shahaphat. Go with it. (laughs) where am I? Uh, from Abel Mahalaha. Uh, uh, <laughs> should have, should have uh, done some phonetics. Uh, as prophet of your, uh, uh, in your place. Then Jehu will put to, to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael. Uh, and Elijah will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel. Every knee that has not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah left there and found Elisha, son of Shahaphat. Um, uh, as he was plowing, 12 teams of oxen were in front of him, and he was with uh, the 12th team. Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah, and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Go back for what, you have, um, for what have I done to you. Okay. Long reading, 
some things that I want to draw out in light of some, a couple of Elijah's statements. Did you notice that he said twice, I, I am I alone and left? I, I, twice he said it. And twice he gave the same reply uh, to the Lord. But I want to say so just some background for those of you who maybe aren't aware of it. You may be aware of it, so please just humor me. Um, Elijah had been a constant thorn in the flesh of Ahab, um, who was deemed the most wicked king in Israel's history. If you read it, um, the preceding chapters, you'll see that Eli- uh, Ahab was, um, was just, he, he was wicked and he was weak. So you heard about, you know about Jezebel? So she was, a, she was a strong woman and had, had a, basically was operating the rule of, 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 of the king and queen through, through Ahab and his decision making. All right. Now these, this pair um, led Israel astray. So they led Israel astray by worshipping the, the Baal god. Now Baal um, was the most prominent, prominent Canaanite god. He was a storm and rain god. Okay, so that's what, they, that's what they believe, that this God at Baal would be the one that would, would, would send the rains and everything. It's like uh, the, the God of fertility, actually, also. Um, so it's against this backdrop that Elijah, in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 17, verse 1, proclaims a drought. So there's a drought that's going to come. And a drought indeed does come. And the drought lasts for about three, three and a half years. Um, no rain. Now, can you imagine that how, how embarrassing this is for Ahab and Jezebel? Because they've, they've led this people to worship the storm god, the god of rain, and there is no rain. How many times do you think that they tried to conjure up some rain? I think there was, pro- I think there was probably a few kind of reading into and guessing that, I don't think they waited just three and a half years for that. I think there would have been some, some kind of, um, expectation that rain would come, but it didn't come. Because the rain wouldn't come until Elijah gave his command. It's, it's what he says. It says, you'll have no rain until I, until I give that command. And so the rain didn't come. So when it gets to um, 1 Kings chapter 18 and the, the, the battle of Mount Carmel, where you've got Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal, and Elijah, there's this battle that goes on. It's not really bad because there's only ever going to be one winner, but they think that maybe, just maybe, there could be something that could change as a result of this that puts them to the test. It says, okay, well, who, who, whichever, so they get a bull, a bull each, and they stack up some wood. Um, this is the prophets of Baal. They stack up the wood and they start doing their incantations and their dances and their weeping and their wailing and nothing happens. So you have, have a read of it. It's, it's fascinating. Look at the response of Elijah. Because it gets to noon, and what does he do? He goes, it's basically, is Baal on the toilet? That's what he says. Is he relieving himself that he can't answer you? He's making a mockery of the fact that this storm god is unable to answer the cries of 450 prophets. So this is, a good, this is a great moment, because I think at this moment, Elijah has great confidence in God's ability to do what God is going to do, because he wants his people to come, come back to him. He wants to demonstrate, actually, there is no other God but me. There is no other God that has, has the power that I have. That's, that's kind of the, the crux of it, is that Israel had gone off to worship this 
impotent God, when actually the God of, 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 of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who holds all power and authority, is being sidelined. And so it says that Elijah um, rebuilds the altar that had been destroyed. I think that's a significant moment. And then he goes, to, and then he goes on to say, well, so remember there's a drought. Not a lot of water. Fill up four gallons of the, in these jars and pour it onto the sacrifice. Pour it onto the, the, the butchered calf. Pour it onto, uh, sorry, the butchered bull. Pour it on. Douse the, the water, uh, the, the wood. And he dug a trough. And he says, I'll do it again. Elijah, you know there's a drought, right? Yeah, just put some water on it. Oh, do it, do it again. Elijah, you don't know there's drought, this is precious thing. Yeah, yeah, put it on. And then he prays. And what happens? The fire of God falls and consumes uh, the, not only the, the bull, the wood. He'd actually put 12 stones around 12, uh, to mark out the 12 tribes of Israel. This is, this is who I am. Water and consumed it all. I think Elijah then goes, I think I win, boys. I think, I've just, I think I've just demonstrated something of the power of God in this moment. The God that you've been worshipping and you've been leading astray is nothing. This is the God I serve. So he slaughters the 450 prophets of Baal. And then Ahab runs off to Jezebel. Goes to Jezebel and tells her what's, what's happened. And Jezebel is raging. It's like, how dare you? Like, I think, I wonder whether Ahab would have been in that moment kind of going, well, maybe there's something in this. Maybe we've made a bit of a mistake. Because I thought the prophets of Baal would conquer, but no, they haven't. And so it goes back to Jezebel, all changes. Jezebel puts out a hit on Elijah. So this is where we get this point where he's now, he's gone from the mountain of success into the pit of despair. It's quite a rapid descent. Because you would have thought that he'd been living off, he'd be able to live off that success for a little while, wouldn't you? Like, yeah, that, oh, wasn't that amazing? That God did this and that we conquered and we restored him. But he's, dis, he's despondent because it doesn't have the kind of results that he thought it might have. Because this is where he again gets to this point where he says, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. So he does, he does what every good leader does. He, um, he legs it 100 miles south. So from the Mount, Mount Carmel, he legs it to a place called Bathsheba. And it's about 100 miles south of that location. So it's taken him a little while. He's got his servant with him. And he says, the text says when he gets to Bathsheba... What he does is he leaves his servant there and then he walks on for another day to go and find a, a bush that he can curl up and die. He's in a pit of depression. He, he's so worried that Jezebel is going to fulfill the plan to carry out the hit to make sure he's dead. He had no reason to disbelieve that she would seek to try and do that. So he's legged it. He's fleed. And he's in this pit of depression. He's in this pit of despair. Isn't it really interesting that often when we have the big, sometimes when we seem like we had a breakthrough in something or some area, 
that something happens as a result that we have a little bit of a dip? Or is that, is that just, yeah? We're, we're there? Like, we have those moments, don't we? I thought, oh, yeah, mate, got through, got through. And then it's, oh, man, didn't quite work out or fulfill what I thought it might. And it, it, it's those sort of things that begin to niggle away. Because you kind of go, oh, yeah, this is it. We're going to break through. We've got momentum. And then, oh, no. So Elijah's in that moment. So he, he runs 100 miles south. He um, confesses to the Lord that he'd had enough. I, I'm done. I'm done with this, Lord. These people are just so hard-hearted and they're just not listening. I'm done. I've, I've had it. Take my life now, Lord. So not if, if, if Jezebel wasn't going to do it, then Lord, you take it. I've had enough. So he confesses that to the Lord. I think that's a really important thing, actually. Because if he hadn't confessed it and he hung on to it, what might have happened? What might have happened to him? I, we don't know. But I think there's something powerful in confessing what we really feel. Because God can handle it. He can handle it. He can handle those inner thoughts saying, God, I'm alone. I feel this. I feel like I'm under attack. I feel like you just want you to take me because it's, life is just not worth it. I've had enough. He can take those things. The greatest danger is when we don't confess those things because all it does is continues to repeat the news cycle, the fake news that goes on and on inside of our brains. So he confessed it. But the other thing is that Elijah was tired. He was emotional. He was burnt out. He was stressed and he was disappointed. He'd had a busy ministry period. He'd come off the back of, 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 of some really busy and heavy duty ministry stuff. That, that encounter on Mount Carmel alone would have been enough to kind of just zap some of the energy. Imagine the adrenaline that moment. God, you've got to come through. If you don't come through, well, what's going to happen? I'm, I'm toast. So he's got all of that going on as well. And then he says that statement, I alone, I alone am left. Twice. So what does the Lord do? Because this is where it's really important. Because we can believe the lies and we can talk about lies. But what does the Lord do? How does the Lord respond to somebody in that kind of circumstance and situation? Did he say, Elijah, pull yourself together. Get over it. Get on and get up. No, he didn't. He didn't. He speaks gently to Elijah. But he doesn't allow him to camp out in self-pity. He speaks gently, but with that gentleness was with the result of trying to bring him out. Out of the cave that he'd found himself in. Now, interestingly, with the cave, one, one or two commentators think that that cave, um, when he left um, the tree... He got some sustenance. He walked 40 days to a cave. This is where the story picks up. And that cave, they believe, could have been Mount Horeb, where Moses had received the, uh, the, the covenant and the, the, very, the cleft of the rock, that place where he was hiding, they think, could have been where Elijah was. And then, so he's in the cave, and God, God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Twice God says that. Twice he says, I'm alone, and twice he gives the retort, and then he keeps going back and says, what are you doing here? Where are you going, Elijah? So he speaks gently, and he begins to, he says, come out of the rock. 
Interestingly, Elijah doesn't come out of the rock first time. He doesn't go, oh, the Lord has spoken, therefore I've got to, got to step out. He doesn't. He stays in the cave. He stays hidden. He stays in his place of, of wallowing in depression. There's a whole load of things going on in that moment, but he, that's where he is. He doesn't feel like he can come out of the cave. He doesn't feel like, actually, I want to get out of the cave. But God speaks. And in that, the next bit, it says the, the wind comes and it's bashing against the rocks and it's, it's you know, it, it's violent. Demonstration of God's presence, by the way. But he just wasn't in the wind. God's power demonstrated through the wind. And then the earthquake. Demonstration of God's power. But he wasn't in the earthquake. And then came the fire. Now, on Mount Carmel, what had happened, come down in, the, in fire. But God wasn't in the fire. Because those three things at that point in time weren't essentially what, what was going to get Elijah out of the cave. So when people like you and I are in those moments where we feel lonely, it's not the power moments that are going to get people out of the cave. It's the gentle whisper. Elijah, what are you doing here? He speaks gently. And it's only, it's only when Elijah hears him does he come out of the cave. It's only until he heard God speak he came out of the cave. So the Lord gently talks to Elijah. Now Elijah has said that he alone was left. Now whether he knew this or not, but a few chapters earlier, Obadiah... A faithful, one of the faithful had hidden a hundred prophets of the Lord um, away from uh, Ahab and Jezebel. So there were a hundred faithful prophets of God that were remaining. Maybe Elijah didn't know about that. But then the Lord comes on to go, goes, goes on to say, Elijah, I want to just shift your perspective a moment because you're feeling alone. You're feeling like there's nobody else around, nobody else who's been faithful, nobody else who's been as zealous for me as you have. And, and maybe that's some of the problem, Elijah, is that you, this is kind of my, my thinking on it, is that what, maybe, maybe you've just taken on a burden that was never yours to carry, Elijah. But let me just tell you, there are 7,000 faithful servants of mine still left in Israel. Look. I want you to see, I want you to understand that there are 7,000 people that have remained faithful. You are not on your own, Elijah. Whatever your circumstances, whatever you may be feeling internally at this moment, you are not on your own, Elijah. And then he goes on to give him a task. Because God hadn't finished with Elijah. And for those of us who maybe feel alone in this moment or have had those experiences of feeling alone, feeling like Elijah, feeling like you've had great successes and then moments of great, like, wow, this just feels really hard. I feel like anybody else is around or anybody else understands. Gives him a task. Gives him a focus. Gives him a purpose. That task would be to train his successor. That task would be to carry out and fulfill the purpose of the Lord, but he, he brings alongside him Elisha. Uh, 
to where Elijah had left his servant and sought out isolation, God brings him out of the cave and gives him a pal. Something going on in that moment where God is working in, in Elijah. But how do, we, how do we get through the lies? What are the, what are the lies that we believe and what are the truth that we learn and we understand in relation to Elijah's life and the gospel? This is uh, number one. The lie that we tell ourselves, I'm alone. The truth is, God's presence is always with us. God's presence is always with us. I don't think there's a time in, in this story, in this narrative, Elijah might not have sensed it and felt it, but God was present with him. Psalm 46 says this, Our God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. True of the psalmist, it's true of Elijah, and it's also true of you and I. That we may feel alone, but if you're in Christ Jesus, you're never alone. Never. Matthew 28 verse 20 says, I, I am with you always. Promise of Jesus, the words of Jesus, that when he gave the Spirit, when you, when you and I step into relationship with him, the promise is that he will never leave us and never forsake us. He is our constant presence. Whether we feel it or not, I think the, the, the challenge for us when we feel alone is to believe it is to step into it, to change and shift our perspective and say, God, this is how I feel, but I know this to be true. This is my current experience. This is my current reality, but I know your word is true. You are ever present. Second thing is the, the lie. Nobody wants, nobody wants me and nobody cares. The truth is that if you're in Christ Jesus, that God has placed you in a community, he's placed you in a family, so that's why I'm saying is that when it comes to the, the tea and coffee, when we gather together on a, on a Sunday or whether we're in connect groups or whether it's not just the Sunday stuff, whether you meet up with somebody to develop a friendship and a conversation about life and faith and all this in between, it's actually about this sense of you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. We are family and nobody should be alone. Nobody gets left behind placed us in family. So then uh, Ephesians says this, then you are, you are, you are no longer strange, foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have, have, have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. It's the, the, fam, the community that he's placed us in is to, is to be for one another, Serve one another, love one another, protect one another. Make sure that those that feel lonely, those that feel isolated, are welcomed. Not, not out of pity, but because, they because we are one. Uh, third lie is this. Uh, no one else is struggling with this. I, I'm alone. The truth is... God's power, uh, God, uh, the sin's power is broken by Jesus' death and resurrection. I think this is, this is probably one of the biggest things that stops us growing. Is that we believe the lie that we can never get through this. That we can never overcome it. That, we, uh, that uh, uh, the, stuff, the, stuff, the internal stuff that goes on in us, that we can't, we're just never going to break it. 
and we get held in particular things. You can name those. You don't need me to reel off a list. You, you know the stuff. I know the stuff of my life. You know the things of your life that you think, oh, I'm never going to get this. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. But the truth is that when Jesus died upon the cross and, he, and he, he, he took our shame, our guilt, our sin, and he rose again victorious, he broke sin's power. It no longer has a hold upon us. The, 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 the truth is, we can get to step into that reality. We don't have to be held by the things that we struggle with. And I think this is where family comes in. And I think this is where confession comes in. I think this is where friendship is really important. Because when you confess to one another, what happens? The light of the gospel can be, can be shone into the darkness and, and the power of it is broken. If you've ever experienced that, if you've ever experienced that sense of, I know I've just got to confess something because it's, it, it's, it's eating, eating up. Then he, it, the, the, when you confess it and you bring that into the light, it's almost, it, the power of it's broken. And I think that's what we're doing when we believe this truth that God, uh, that in, in Christ, the power of sin is broken. You can have a read of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and Romans 6, 1 to 11, a little bit later. But we often keep it quiet because we think that nobody else is struggling with it. We often think it's just my thing, it's just my problem. Nobody else surely is going to be dealing with this. But Corinthians 10, 13 says, that there's no, no temptation that isn't common to man. The reality of it is we all got stuff and when you can share it, you go, oh, you too, me too. The power of it is broken. Okay, number four. The lie is that we'll never get free from this habit. or um, thing. And So this following on from sin's power is broken. How do, we, how do we break free? Well, the truth is that we have a renewed mind. We are renewed. Being, we are made new. So Ezekiel 36, 26, you, in, Christ, in, in, in Christ you have been given a new heart and a new spirit. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your, uh, renewing of your mind. Prayer, scripture, community, that sense of being in this together, that movement of, of God's people in, in unison to say, actually we can live this life that he's called us because his spirit lives in us. And then 2 Corinthians 5 all new creation, the old has gone and the new has come. The old stuff of our life has been dealt with in Jesus. Fight number five, uh, the lie, I'm, I'm done, I have no value, I have no purpose, etc., etc. The truth is you have a purpose and you're not done until the Lord says you're done. You're not done until he says, I'm bringing you home. We're not done until Jesus returns. And, so, and establishes new, new, new heaven and new earth. We're not done until he says so. And that was true of Elijah, and it's true of you. you are, we are sons and daughters of God. See what great love the Father has for us, that, he, that we should be called the children of God? And that's what we are. We're called to work with him. So the purpose is we're called to work in stewarding the earth under his, lead, under his leadership and created in Christ to do good works. Have a read of Ephesians 2.10 and 1 Corinthians 3.9. We are ambassadors of good news. So in light of this, 
What are, these, what are the life lessons from Elijah? When you're feeling alone, vulnerable, and attacked, or under pressure, choose to believe that God sees you, hears you, and provides for you. When you're feeling alone, vulnerable, and attacked, or under pressure, don't isolate yourself from others. Isn't it interesting that when we feel that, often the default is to hide from people, to run away from people, to isolate ourselves? not sure that's the best way is that the invitation of family means that we radically give ourselves for others when you're feeling alone vulnerable and attacked and under pressure ask what brought me to this place when they like when god says to you, what are you doing here there'll be a reason while you while you're in this place there'll be a reason what brought you there ask the question Trace the, trace the line. Begin to answer the questions. When you're feeling vulnerable, alone, and attacked and under pressure, don't look for mighty acts of power, but listen to the gentle whisper of a friend who will lead you out of the cave. When you're feeling alone, vulnerable, and attacked or under pressure, pick up the task that the Lord has assigned to you. Because in doing so, I think the Lord will give us running mates. People who come alongside us. It's really interesting, isn't it, that when we get active and, be, and involved in the things that God's purposed us to do alongside others, the stresses and strains of life seem to be a little bit easier to bear. But when we're on our own in isolation, it's much harder. And so what is it the Lord has tasked you and asked you to do? What is it that you can join in with others in his work? So what does this look like for, for OCC? Well, there's some things to ask about. What does it look like for our Sunday interactions? What does it look like when we're gathering, when we gather in the back and we come through, when we're, we're waiting for the service to start? What does it look like for us to be connecting with one another as part of the gathering? Not waiting for the, ser- the service, but participating in by welcoming those that come into our doors. What does it look like to be involved in missional households? If you're a part of that, you know, the mission element is, is one, four, one fourth of that, the, the, the rhythm. A whole host of that is about loving God and helping to love one, another's and, uh, one another and, and, and resting and celebrating together. So who might the Lord be asking you to be in part of your family? Those that you see may be isolated and suffering and struggling. Who might the Lord want to invite you to invite into your space? Because it's not only just waiting for somebody else to ask you, but maybe you and I need to be the person that does the asking. Maybe you and I need to be the person that steps out for others. So in the moment, there's some, I'm going to shut up because uh, I've spoken for far too long, um, but I hope some of what I've said has been helpful. Um, some questions that you can take a photograph, note down, and maybe consider and ponder over the course of the week. So when you feel alone, what is your default reaction or action? What do you turn to? What habits have you, uh, do you have that help you cultivate a life with God and with other believers? There's some habits there. There's some actions that we can take. And what is the one thing that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you? And what is he asking you to do? I wonder if... Um, Ben, you can play, play for a few moments. I just want to give some space because the reality of it is there might be some in here.
today who are struggling with some of the things that I've mentioned. It might be, it might be a very real live issue. For others, it might have been something that's, that's done and dusted. It's interesting that we can be in a room and feel very alone. We can be surrounded by people and yet yeah, feel alone because we're longing for connection. And I think this morning there's an invitation for us um, individually to go, Lord, I recognize that you are always with me, but we also need people. Lord, you are with me. Yes, that is, that's in one sense is enough, but Lord, I need other people. And so th- this morning, maybe there's some responses. Who do we, who do we, who can we, who are we aware of that might be struggling in those areas that we can reach out to, that we can become a friend to, that we can create a safe space to? Is there some stuff this morning that you need to allow God just to minister into your heart? And just in the next few moments, just give you space to listen, to respond to God, to feel his embrace, that you are known. He knows you and he sees you. It's one of the striking things of that passage. He sees Elijah. He sees him when he's under the tree. He sees him when he's on the mountain. He sees him when he's fleeing. He sees him and he knows him and he knows how to draw him out. So we want to give some space while Ben plays. If you, if you do want some prayer ministry, very happy to pray with you. Come and sit at the front if you want. Stand, tap me on the shoulder. I'd love to pray with you. Just give you a moment while Ben plays just to reflect and then close the service.